Welcome to the Aggressively Average Podcast. Realty Force Stay. I get all my facts from my gut. I'm not allowed to go out and do what I want to do. I'm going postal. 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 This is a list of the people who audit that. Enjoy the show. Welcome to the fourth episode of Fireside Chats with Blake. I'm your host, Blake Townsend, and join me today is a brand new acquaintance of mine that I had the pleasure of seeing do stand-up for the very first time, Adam Bear. I'm looking forward to getting to know him, and I'm sure you guys will enjoy it as well. Say hello to all the listeners, Adam. Hello, listeners. Now let's get the fire started. So, Adam, I got to see you do your first set ever, right? Yeah. Yeah, it was my first time. And have you done any since then? Um, I did an online one. That went really well. It was just like a bunch of comedians taking turns doing like a five minute set. Was there like any audience or was it just comedians? You know what? I don't know. I know it's one of those things you kind of got in a Zoom chat and I didn't know if there was like a bar someplace that was watching. But yeah, it was pretty much just in front of comedians, at least from my end. You did that after you did the live show that I saw? I did. I did it two days later. You know, someone posted in another Facebook page that I'm on that does comedy stuff that you can do that. And so I'm in that group now, too. And I, they do it every Wednesday. I might do that again a couple times to test material out. Yeah, I haven't done anything online, but that's just because I don't think it would go well for my ego. <laughs> I don't do well even when people are laughing. I'll still find the person in the crowd that isn't laughing. And I'm like, oh, that wasn't funny at all. So to not get any laughs back would be rough for me. Yeah, well, it's okay. I mean, because all people like it's a Zoom call. So, you know, I heard other comedians laughing yeah. and stuff. Yeah, it's just hard with other comedians because you never know. You might get the ones that want to laugh. But you might also get the ones that are just worried about, I need to make sure my set's good. Yeah. So they're not really paying that much attention. It's probably different in a Zoom call where mm-hmm. you're not at a bar and like other things are going on around you. But I prefer live. I mean, I do too. I mean, who, who doesn't love the energy of the audience and stuff? I was really happy the night that I went and did that live performance at, uh, what's the name of the place called? Uh, Post 32. It's the Polish Legion of American Veterans. Yeah. I was really happy I did that one because at least when I got there, there was a good crowd and people were really responsive. So I don't know if that was my material or just the time of night, but I really liked it. Yeah, that was, it was probably the best comedian crowd we've had there. There wasn't that many uh, audience members, really, but it was a pretty good crowd for comedians. And a lot of them are new. So I think that really helped because they were just there to like kind of get their feet wet. They haven't been doing it for a year and a half, just worried about perfecting things. Because uh, Drew Holland, I don't know if you remember, but he was there. Mm-hmm. And I had him on the podcast. And if you listen to the Fireside Chat, which, no, you didn't. You only listened to the episode with him on it. I listened to the part of the fireside. Well, and it he was actually good. said you were the best one. Oh, did he? Yeah. Wow. That's a compliment. Yeah, That's a compliment. Because him and another kid kind of got into it because he said, well, I got more laughs than you, which isn't the point, dude. Yeah. Those last couple guys, I'm just like me and my friend who came with me, we're just kind of looking at each other like, mm-hmm, because I don't know. I, I'm not really into the alienating the audience kind of thing. That one guy was just, he was just kind of mean. You're probably talking about the same dude. Yeah. I, I knew which guy he was talking about and I called him great hair and he got like upset about it. And it's like, that was a compliment, dude. Yeah. Said it was a play on your last name. It said you have great hair. I don't know why you got upset about it, but it happens. 
Yeah, and it is, it is, it's been an interesting experience getting to know some of the comedians in the community because you can tell the people that, you know, this is important to them. It's not just about feeling good about yourself. This is something they love to do, making people laugh and uh, interacting with people that way. And those are the comedians that have been really fun to get to know and learn a little bit about. But then those other comedians, you're like, what are you, like, why are you doing this? Why are you? Like, is this an ego thing? And you know what I mean? And th- those are the people that I'm just really confused about. Those are the mean ones. So well, I think even the people who really enjoy it, it's still a bit of an ego thing. Not necessarily like they have huge egos and they mm. want to prove they're good. But it's like, for me, I'm a really awkward guy. Like, I don't introduce myself to people. I've met someone and I talked to them for six months without ever asking their name. And I just got too deep into where I couldn't ask them their name. So it's nice to be able to get up there and make an impression on people for five, ten minutes without them really getting a chance to say anything to me. So it's like, all right, it's a little ego boost and I can not make friends, but become more approachable just by going up there and telling jokes. And then I can network that way instead of having to like, hi, my name's Blake Townsend. Yeah. No, I like it. I think and I, that's how I got to meet you is by hearing you do some of your bits and you being in front of the audience and you coming up to us and coming up to me and me coming up to you. And, you know, yeah, yeah, it works. It makes sense. As a host, I like to try and make sure I go up and talk to everyone that's at the show, thank them for coming there. And I've had a lot of people tell me like, oh, I'm really glad I got to talk to you. You're looking at comedy in a good way. And I was mm-hmm. like, I'm just looking at it the way I think you should. Like this podcasting stuff, this is just helping me build skills that I think if I do want to make this a career, there's skills that's going to be necessary to have. Minimal editing skills, some production skills, being able to have conversations on air that I'm recording. Like I know it's not live, but it's still different than a conversation without microphones. I mean, yeah, and it's, I mean, how old are you, like? Early 20s? Uh, 20s? 30. Just turned 30. Oh, wow. You're a lot older than I thought you were. Yeah, I, uh, if I were to shave, I'd look even younger. That is the same reason why I have a beard. Oh, yeah. 100%. <laughs> I know for me, I was scared about starting something in my 30s. I'm 32. And I was scared about getting into this area, I don't, this craft, I guess you could say, in my 30s. But at the same time, it's like, it's not really about making money. It's, it's, it's about someplace to put creativity and have fun for me. What? pushed you to do it well a lot of it's kind of a long story ever since i was a kid i i came from a performing family you know my father was a theater teacher a college level theater teacher and my mom did theater you know and my grandfather was a musician and a he you know he led church choirs so i i come from a long line of performers among other things and it's something i always enjoy doing and i did the rock band thing and that wasn't my thing what'd you play Oh, I played bass, I played guitar, I did some vocals, and then did things like choir, and that was fun, but I would get into too much mischief just standing in one place for too long. A word you hear me say a lot is I'm eccentric, which is different than being weird or strange. It's, you know, anyways. And then, you know, in college, I I was a theater major and I loved it. I loved being in front of people and making these characters and playing these parts. I loved doing comedy. It was my favorite, getting really into it and really just going berserk and creating these outlandish characters something that maybe even wasn't that outlandish. But there's so much commitment involved in being in a play that once I got married, and we started to build our lives together, me and my wife. Uh, I didn't have time to do plays. I had to work, and most of the only work I could find was restaurant work at night. So, But as I got older and as I went through things and as life continued, I always wanted that outlet. And then, you know, in the last couple of years, I've really kind of embraced who I am as a person, as an individual. I learned the meaning of the word eccentric, and I'm like, yes, that's me. You know, and I've just really stopped caring about people's opinions. 
it's given me the opportunity to kind of be the person that I want to be in public, not just around friends. I, one of my wife's friends like, why aren't you doing like stand up or something? And I'm like, I don't know. I guess I never tried it. So I wrote a bunch of jokes over the course of a couple months. And then, you know, once we all started going social distancing and locked in, there was this thing called Social Distance Fest. And it's basically musicians would get on there and play music. And I'm like, well, you know, I've got like pages and pages of jokes right now. Let me put some of my best ones together and just sit there and do it. Just see what happens. And so I did. I just sat there and I rambled off my jokes and tried to give um, pauses where I think the pauses would be and did a bunch of jokes that I'm like, wow, those definitely fell flat. But, you know, I just kind of did it and posted it. I did it live in front of no one, just my camera screen. I mean, and it had over 5,000 views in a week. And that's not a huge amount compared to some things. But for me, that was huge. I mean, I put on my actual sets from my first couple of sets. And obviously, they're not great. Uh, I only took a month when I decided to do it. I listened on a podcast, Pat McAfee show. I don't know if you've ever listened to it. But mm-hmm. he had a stand-up comedian on it who they were talking about doing it. And he straight up said... If you've ever thought about doing stand-up, just try it. And I was like, okay, I will. So I gave myself a month to do it, tried to write jokes, found out I'm much more of a story writer. Like, I've always wanted to write a novel, always been good at writing short stories, but it's all flowery, very descriptive, which doesn't translate well to stand-up. If you can get a lot of time, then you can spend more time on those stories. But like a five-minute set, you can't really spend too much time telling a story You got to chop it down, get it as short as possible with as many hits as you can in it. So I kind of gave up writing my jokes out and just went with premises, tags I wanted to hit with it, and then just went up on stage and just tried to build a story from that. And I need to get more into writing. Like, I wish I could write a whole bunch of jokes, but right now I'm good with premises and then figuring out how the jokes should be said on stage. Well, and that's a place to start. Are you familiar with the comedian Mike LaBiblio, I think is how you pronounce it? Yeah, I... Yes, I've seen him on Netflix. He has a uh, big, yeah, yeah, it's his hard name. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I've heard other like podcasts where they said he's really good, and I've seen he's at a Netflix special or something. But I haven't actually watched him. He is so impressive. His ability, like his entire special is just one long story. And it's just constantly going in and out of like jokes and stuff. And how he's able to be funny while telling this story is really quite impressive. He does one that's like my like my girlfriend's ex or my girlfriend's boyfriend or something like that. And uh, I mean, it is. It's just one whole story about a particular time in his life and a particular event. And he's just weaving jokes in and out of the story. And it's hilarious. It's so impressive. If you're the kind of person that loves telling stories, definitely, definitely look him up because he's he's really good. He's yeah, really good. I, people I listen to is uh, or not, I listen to a lot of people, but Burt Kreischer and Tom Segura, I like their version of storytelling because mm. uh, I like to not have like one long story, have a bunch of different ones, but they're interconnected. The way I talk about it to people is like, I write all my jokes, whatever order I want to try to write them, and then try to find the thread between them. Like, see if I can link from the first one to the last one, a logical step all the way through. And after the pandemic, when I started getting 10-minute sets, that's when I really started to be able to do that really well. I don't want to say really well. That's a bit of an ego stroke. But I've been doing a lot better. It's gotten me hosting gigs, some paid gigs. Not a lot, but getting paid to do comedy. Step in the right direction. Yeah, it is. And it, I mean, that's where it starts. I mean, I if anyone sits down and talks to me, I'm going to sound like I'm more experienced than I am. Only because 
you know, I was a theater major and I spent a lot of time thinking about things and thinking about comedy and stuff. I'm a huge fan of um, autobiographies. And I think the biggest influence on me in my joke telling is actually Steve Mountain's autobiography, uh, Born Standing Up. It talks about his period and how he went to building his acts and building his comedy. And it was a huge, it was a huge eye opener to me and really is what started me getting to the point where I'm like, you know what, maybe I could write jokes because I never thought I could think of anything funny. I was always funny with other people's material. But as I got older, I started realizing like, I'm saying things that are original. I'm saying things. I make jokes to people that are original. Like if you listen to my bit, I do this whole thing about showing up in people's houses. Like, why is my bed wet? I, I did that bit when I was working at a job. I'm like, yeah, we were talking about this this particular coworker that d- didn't like me. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know why he doesn't like me. He's always just like, what are you doing here? Why are you in my bedroom? You know, and I thought it was hilarious. And I guess other people did too, because they were laughing with me. And half the time I make jokes just to make myself laugh. And it turns out other people are laughing too. So. Yeah, yeah, I read something one time where it was like, do you tell jokes to make people think you're funny? or to make people laugh. And it's like, I tell jokes because that's how I think. I don't tell jokes for any specific reason. It's just how my brain's hardwired to handle situations. And that probably comes from when I was younger, being real awkward and not knowing, like, try to, you know, say, I was really into Pokemon. If I tried to talk to someone not into Pokemon, then, like, they'd just, like, blank stare at me. So I was like, oh, so if I can just make people laugh all the time, I'll always just belong in the conversation. So, like I said, like, it's an ego thing, but it's not, like, a big ego. It comes from having a small ego. Like, I learned to tell jokes is just, like, I guess a defense mechanism is what they would call it. And, like you said, you didn't think you could write jokes. I realize I can write jokes. I need a premise like, if someone could just shoot premises at me all day, then I could sit down and write jokes. But it's, for me, coming up with the premise is hard. But it's easy for me to remember a story from my childhood and go, ah, I can tell that on stage. Most of the stuff I say on stage, the first half of my set's all 100% shit that's happened to me. Then I start to, you know, embellish a few things here and there once I built a rapport with the audience of like, oh, he's telling the truth. See, I go for all embellish. Like, everything in my stories are true, but they've been taken... I exaggerate completely for the sake of humor. Like, you know, I really was an extra in a movie. Now, if you hear my hear my set about meeting a celebrity, you know, I make a joke about having a restraining order. That, of course, that's not true, but that's because what really happened isn't as funny as exaggerating. So, like, I love that idea of that half in reality, half in not reality. Mm-hmm. And nothing about my character is untrue, but I just, just like how Steve Martin created the persona of, a really bad comic that's funny because he's so bad um, and that worked for him. I do this. I take all my eccentricities, all these like things in my head that I want to do that I don't necessarily do because, you know, social, social standards or whatever. And I'm like, I take those ideas of things I would want to do in particular situations and turn around and be like, yeah, I did those, you know, because it's funnier than what I actually did. Because, you know, you can't you can't be weird all the time. You can't be like <laughs> some people can. Yeah, I can't. You know, I have to have a job. But I would still like I talk about there are some things and some things are true and some things are exaggerated. Like I really did chase a coworker around. I was working at a university and I did chase a coworker around serenading him singing. I can show you the world. That's a joke that I have in my set. I really did that. And so that's funny because the things that I do slide in there that are eccentric and weird. The, the ones that are true only balances out the ones that are exaggerated or 
shaped. But I really like that's like the comedy I'm going for is this comedy. It's like everything seems normal in this conversation, but then all of a sudden it's just like bloop, you know, it's just goes straight to the left of weird and then back again. You're like, what just happened? Yeah, I do that a lot in conversations with people. Like I just say something they're really not expecting, or like one thing I just started hosting has really helped me with like joke writing Mm. because what I do is I try to listen to the person before me set, and then if I find a joke in theirs that I can like play off of with a joke of mine, then when I go up, I bring it up, and it's kind of like a callback of sorts, so it you know, makes the joke fit in because someone else already made a joke about it. But it's helped me realize that bits that I've been doing my whole life, just like things that I've known, like if I say this, I know exactly the situation to say it, people are going to laugh. Like when I was a server, I used to bump into girls all the time at work, and I'd be like, oh, I'm sorry, and they'd be like, oh, you're fine. And I'd be like, hey, not at work. Afterwards, please. And so I kind of turned that into a a new joke on stage with like a little tag at the end and stuff. And it only came from hosting because I was like, oh, I can use old bits because I realized like a lot of things I've been saying my whole life, I could tie into things other people said. Not really tie in, but it gave me the thought to use it on stage. Yeah, and I've noticed that too. And I just, I just cracked. I just crackled. I don't, I prepubescent again. <laughs> Sorry, uh, my brain does that. That That's so true. I mean, some of my jokes, a lot of my jokes, the punchline is from things that I said or did in real life. Like the whole, why is my bed wet thing? That's from, like I said earlier, that's from an actual conversation that I had. I just expanded it into a joke and a bit. And uh, I did that with a bunch of other things too. Now, there are some jokes I would make in public that I won't make. <laughs> on stage not because i don't think they're funny it's just because i'm terrified of what other people would think about those I, jokes i tried a uh, risque joke but it's it was based off I, I worked with a friend of mine at taco bell and his great uncle also worked at that taco bell as like the cleaning captain just someone who comes in the morning and does side cleanings and that's all they do so that the normal crew can just make food and not have to worry about all the side stuff well we joked around because he was the sweetest old man but i joked around about him having like a real dark side that no one really knew because he would like tell poems at like family gatherings make everyone sit around and recite poems to him and stuff just like the nicest guy ever but i started making jokes about like what if he had like a real dark side and like what would he say and i tried it on stage one time and it got me crickets (laughs) but afterwards like because i it's like a three-part joke and i only said the first part of it and i was like all right, not the crowd for this guy. And afterwards, I was like, you know, leaving, saying thank you for coming to people. And a guy goes, hey, that Ray Rice joke wasn't that bad. And I was just like, all right, thank you. It's like, at least someone appreciated. But I think it was like a kind of joke where everyone's like, do we laugh? Do we laugh at that? Is that okay? <laughs> See, me, it's I have a whole series of jokes that I can't do. Um, you can. It, well, it's all Stockholm jokes because – on par with my comment of how am I married, I have a whole list of jokes that the only reason why I am married is because of Stockholm. I, I have I'm, <laughs> I have the same like premise, Stockholm. That's how I feel about uh, children and pets. I have a whole, not a joke really that I would say on stage, but I've had like rants that I've told people that I've been thinking about turning into a joke because pets are basically, it's just Stockholm syndrome. Like you're just feeding them and giving them a certain set of rules that they don't necessarily, if they were out in, like, out in the real world, they wouldn't have to listen to. 
They could just go live their life. But because you feed them, they listen to your rules and they think that they're happy. That is that is very similar. But for me, it's a lot of my wife being, you know, it's like the only reason why I'm married is because, you know, I just kept her in my basement long enough. <laughs> um, my wife doesn't like those jokes because, first of all, my wife is fantastic and I don't deserve her. And what she's doing with me must be Stockholm. But I, I don't like to like something that's really important to me is I don't like to make jokes at my wife's expense. I'm going to tell you if you stick around doing comedy at some point you're going to have to because it's a thought you have and it's something that i'm sure you've made a lot of jokes about it to her or you've something you've thought about a lot and if you have it you're gonna get enough stage time you're gonna get comfortable and as long as they're funny she'll forgive you well and here's the thing she actually does read through all my jokes with me because there's a lot of jokes also once she sees you telling the jokes on stage it's different If she's reading them written down, it's a whole lot different than her being in the room and you telling the jokes and her hearing the laughter going along with it. I feel like that goes a long way to letting people be like, okay, you can make fun of me on stage. Well, and it just kind of depends because I I don't do – for the sake of clarification, I'm definitely going to end up being considered a clean comic. Part of that is my personal beliefs, not that I think other comics shouldn't be. Uh, shouldn't go different areas and be what's the di- what's the opposite of a clean comic i, I don't want to yeah. say a dirty comic which is um, are they just a comic i guess i can't think of the word but it's someone who goes for like shock gross factor yeah. more than they go for maybe the quality of the joke yeah like i know i heard someone talking about brian regan he's like the prototypical clean comic but he won't go on stage if he's been drinking just so he doesn't ruin that so he has he has it in him to not be a clean comic, and he knows that. And he tries to keep it like, nope, not going to go up there if I'm drunk because I don't want to mess up that image. I want to say something wrong, which I don't have that in me. I, I don't want to say I'm a necessarily like I don't have to cuss. All of my jokes can work without cussing, and I don't say anything super gross. I mean, I have a masturbation joke, but who fucking doesn't? I have I have a few. Yeah. It took me a while to figure out how to really fit it in, but I think I finally figured out the right stories to tell to like set it up. I'm not worried about being clean. I have some jokes that I was a little worried about being too offensive. Like I have a joke where someone said something racist to me after I said something to them. And I was afraid to say it on stage because I say what they said to me. But I tried it the one time and it got laughs. And I was like, okay, as long as the hate like, they can tell I'm not being hateful. It's okay to say something offensive. Well, like... And I get you don't want to do that. I'm not trying to say you need to. Yeah. That's where I'm coming from. No, and I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think those comedians that I find very funny that don't reflect my material. And there's I don't think there's anything wrong with that. It's just a taste. It's about being comfortable. I shine really well in that more clean comic thing. I, I work better. But I also am striving to really kind of stand out a little bit. That's why I'm in a button-up t-shirt and a tie. It, it's it, First of all, I'm very comfortable dressed like that. But it's also it also fits with my style because even though I'm a clean comic, I'm eccentric. And the definition of the word eccentric is behavior that seems strange or off-putting. So everything about how I perceive myself on stage is strange and off-putting. My jokes are just, uh, they're funny, but they're just, they're just a little bit weird, <laughs> you yeah, know? I've, I've always been called eccentric, like, since I was in yeah. seventh grade. Teacher was going around the room and giving everyone an adjective, and he just looked at me and goes, uh, eccentric. And that's when I was like, okay, that works. Because the way I took it, like, not straight definition, but it's like, I think of, like, Einstein as eccentric. Like, you know, smart, people could get along with him, but there's just something a little off. Like, there's a little weirdness to him, and that's 
most of my jokes, like I went through a big Zach Galifianakis phase where I emulate people a lot. Like if I watch Psych, I don't know if you've ever seen that. Oh yeah. I start to talk like the main character from Psych. If I watch other shows, I start to kind of like develop their personality into like my own way. Like when I talk, I kind of, I don't know. I, I call it like I'm a chameleon. In a lot of ways, like depending on who I'm around, I kind of don't change myself like to the core, but I just act a little bit differently, but still weird. Well, you adapt. Yeah. You know what I mean? And that's that's a very that's a I think that comes from people's personalities that are performers, people that are good in front of audiences because you do you adapt to the audience. And there's a way you look at people like Steve Martin. Steve Mullen had a really, he didn't have to adapt to his audience because he had a way of inviting people into what he was doing. But then you look at other comedians like Jim Gaffigan, you could definitely tell he probably would change his comedy or change his act a lot depending on where he was. He's going to tell joke, different kind of jokes and be more adaptable. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. It just depends on what works for you and how us as performers find our way to express ourselves. You know what I mean? Yeah. Does I, that make uh, sense? Uh, the bartender at Post 32, she told me, she's like, I know awkward's like kind of the thing you're going for. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'm not going for awkward. That's the base level here. All right. That's just where I live. That's why I like hosting because during my set, I've worked it to where I know what I'm saying. And, you know, if a joke doesn't hit, I'll try to tag it, you know, just like just try to dig myself out of that hole. But that I've kind of gotten my set to where even if it doesn't hit, I just move on to the next joke. And people tell me all the time, like, oh, you look so comfortable up there. I'm like, oh, you couldn't see me physically shaking? And when I listen back to it, I kind of get what they mean because in my mind, it takes me like 35 seconds to think of the next joke. But when I'm watching it back, I'm like, oh, it was only like two, three seconds, and then I moved on. But when I'm hosting, I dig myself in a lot deeper holes because I'm just trying out new material, just trying to talk. But that's where like the adaptability comes from. Like once I realize like, oh, that's not working, I'll just say something just randomly. Like self-deprecation is my big thing. I do a lot of that and I know how to make fun of myself so it can get laughs. You know, just calling yourself ugly doesn't isn't necessarily funny. But if you just do it at the right moment, even if you just go, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm ugly. Like it can be fucking funny. Well, yeah, and that's what that's what comedy is. It's all about timing and surprise and you know, finding those things that work. And um, I, I have self-defecation humor in mind, too. I think it comes with the territory for most comedians. There's a little, a lot of them. Oh, not Anthony Jeselnik won't ever make fun of himself. But a good amount of comedians, like I always say, you have to make fun of what you know for it to be funny. And I don't know anyone better than I know myself. So that's why I do self-deprecating humor. Oh, and it's very true. And, uh, you know, I mean, you've got... Ron Wright, John Mulaney, Jim Gaffigan, all of them, they spend so much time making fun of themselves and it works. For me, I make fun of myself, but I try not to, I don't, I don't want to do it too much just because so many come on. It goes back to standing out. It goes back to challenging myself to think of things beyond what I know. And making fun of myself is a low hanging fruit for me and it works for me, but uh, I, I also want to challenge myself to do something else. That's why. A lot of my jokes right now, a lot of my stuff that I've written don't really have much to do with 2020, mm. the year 2020. Yeah, I've, I don't want to write any coronavirus jokes. And I got that from Joe Rogan. Listen to his podcast. He didn't want to write anything because, one, he said he didn't know how he felt about it. And, two, once stand-up comes back, everyone's going to have coronavirus jokes. Everyone. That's why I stick with my – the way I do comedy is I tell stories of my life, and I just try to – even if I have to rearrange the way it happened chronologically – 
as long as I, I tell the truth when I'm telling a story, or I think of a, a funny word, and I'm like, can I make that word funny to other people? And I try to build a whole joke around that one like word or phrase. And I have one thing where I was like, there's no way anyone else is going to find this as funny as I do. But first time I told the joke on stage, everyone fucking cracked up. I'm like, oh, so I can do this. I can figure it out. So that's where I challenge myself is like when I think of something that's funny to me. And I get a lot of things I think of are only funny to me because I think of comedy as like there's a spectrum. And for a joke to be funny, it's a confluence of everything that I've been through and the person that I'm telling the joke have been through and you have to make sure that all the factors come by and you make the right joke for it to be hilarious so like some people their dad left them so if you make a joke about someone's dad leaving they're never gonna find it funny some jokes get ruined for some people and there's so many factors to if a joke's going to be funny and you don't know those factors going in. And it's it's nice when you don't think like basically I have a joke where I saw cottage cheese in the fridge and in my head I, I read it as cottage cheese and I laughed at that. And I was like, I wonder if I can build a joke out of it. And I did. And people find it hilarious. And I was just like, OK, cottage cheese, not a funny term, but I found a way to make it funny. Something you said really stuck out just a second ago about um the fact is, because like I, I, you know, I said earlier that I did that social distancing fest. I did it two other times with completely new sets. Like I didn't use the same jokes three times in a row. You know, the, the second time I did it, I made a lot of poop jokes. Poop jokes are funny. Drew, when he did it a couple of weeks ago, when he did his set, it was all about poop and wiping and buttholes. And it was funny. It worked for him. When I did it, it didn't work for me. You know, because it goes back to those factors. Whatever those factors are, uh, particular factors, certain areas aren't just going to work for us as, as different comedians. You know, oh, my, like I, I, I can't do deadpan jokes just based on my per- – if I were to like present myself differently on stage, mate. But the way I present myself, deadpan jokes, I can do them – talking in a conversation but it's a one-liner off of someone else i'm not good at deadpan with a setup and a punchline i'm more of a awkward funny i don't want to say i'm a wordsmith but i use terms that most people wouldn't expect me to use for something well and speaking of that de- i mean drew is so dry mm. like just listening to him on your podcast the last fireside chat and the, the, the last uh, yeah, podcast drew hates children That's yeah that was very it, it was very funny because he's so dry Oh, yeah, that's why uh, when I did the promo thing, I was like, you're going to like his dark sense of humor. Well, we hope it's a humor because <laughs> he just says it like this is a fact. His his tone is so dry. He could light things on fire. And it's funny. Like he I really think he's a funny guy. I really liked listening to him. But I'm not like that. I'm not dry. I'm animated. I'm a cartoon. Yeah, I can't sit still on stage. Oh, yeah, I can't either. Like I, there was one time where the mic couldn't be moved because it was in a really hot room. If you tried to move the mic, it would cut out all the time. So I had to just stand there and talk into the microphone. And I need to move. I, I have so much nervous energy. Like I said, I, I physically shake on stage from adrenaline and nerves. So I have to get out all that extra energy by moving, and then I can tell my jokes. When I do it, I actually do force myself to stand still for a couple of reasons. For me, it's because I will get distracted. My problem is is I probably take – I don't know. Everyone has a different process. My process, I, I take way too seriously. You know, the way I do the jokes and the way I build my set 
it's all I, I love the layers. If you listen, even though even, you know, when I do my 10 minute, which I'm going to try to do hopefully Monday, it's it's all layered up together. And I rehearse it that way because I'm an actor by trade. I was a theater major. I did a lot of plays. Everything's memorized in a certain way. That's not saying I can't go off track, but I found the best way for delivering my jokes is to stand in front of the mic and let my let my physical area, you know, like if you watch, I do a lot of twitches and a lot of shoulder things and expressions. And so that way, that, that way I, I, I can stay on task and engage better. You know, I saw some of the comedians were just kind of like doing the exact same motions over and over again. You're just like, whoa, okay, I'm getting dizzy. But with me, I try to like bring myself in. And that's because I'm new as I, as I get better, I hope that I can move around more. Yeah, I, I have to move around mm-hmm. and like I have jokes built around the fact that everyone thinks I'm gay because I'm, I'll admit I'm a flamboyant person. That's a word that does describe me. I use hand mannerisms. I, I'm not good at talking to girls. So like I'll overly, like, I don't want to say flirt with guys, but I'll compliment them and they'll think like, Oh, is he gay? It's like, no, it's just cause I'm not good at complimenting girls and I have no interest in you so I can compliment you. <laughs> so it's like, and people like have always thought that and I've leaned into it as a comic. I get it. I know what my voice sounds like. I know what my mannerisms are like, but I've just built jokes around it, kind of. I can't I can't do the standstill thing. I, I shake too much. And I do a lot of, uh, you, like, use tiny mannerisms. I do a lot of, like, bending over to, like, make a joke. I don't know. I, I, I like hip movement in my jokes, like, being it, like, changing where, like, my body is in relation to my hips to, like, accentuate the punchline. Well, yeah, and that's a really that's a really small way to do it. And USC comedians do that kind of thing all the time. Speaking of Joe Rogan, if you watch his act, he does that voice all the time. The that I don't I I, I can't I'm not going to pretend to try to repeat it, but he does a particular voice. And if you when he goes to do it, if you watch him, his mannerisms change. Oh, it's like a, a canceled Chris D'Elia. Have you listened to him at all? I don't think so. He uh he does this uh like he does like a a, a chachi voice like a douchebag guy voice all the time and he always goes into the same face when he does it and he like i personally think he may overuse it sometimes but it's still funny but it's just same thing like once you go in that voice you've got to become that character you've got to really lay into it and i i do that with uh, the cottage chi joke i i do that with my roommate i give him like a uh real super like typical super stoner voice and I have like I change how I stand and everything to get into the character of the guy, so I totally fucking get it. Yeah, and I do I do stuff like that too. But like, yeah, we you know we find ways to kind of like nonverbal ways to communicate a humor with the audience. And so I stand still. I stand still for a couple of different reasons. Stand in one place because I, I'll use my hands and my feet and my shoulders and my head. And I notice I do this thing a lot while I like t- like gulp, like when I'm getting ready for a pot, like if I'm getting ready for a punchline, I might just like suck in for a second. Mm. You know what I mean? And so those kind of things. And Steve Martin talks about it in his book. He talks about a con- comedian who used to hit his belly right as he does a punchline. And people that became such a cue, a physical cue for people that he could hit his belly and people would well, laugh. Well, Dave Chappelle does the same thing. He drops the mic onto his hip and he lets you know. And he apparently... I read some article where he learned, like, I don't know, I don't want to say he learned, but, you know, picked up some things from a comedian that he spent a lot of time with who used to, when he would do a punchline, would slap the top of the microphone as, like, the sign of the punchline. And Dave's, like, 
twist on it was to drop it and hit his leg. Same idea. Like, it's just, when they do that, you know, you're like, oh, yeah, okay. And, and it's just like me to be analytical, you know, because I do, I look at all this this comedy stuff very analytically, and I take it apart, break it down, and the science of it all, because it is. I mean, it's, it's these things aren't happening randomly. Like, you know, our jokes aren't funny randomly. There's a reason behind it. And I think, I think there's some comedians that are really good at just doing it naturally. I'm not like that. I, I analyze it and I pick it apart and I'm like, well, why is this funny? Why, what about this? Does this need more of a pause? Does this mean, cause like when I first did the, why is my bed wet joke? That whole, that whole bit is I did it like how they would say. And it was funny, but it's not nearly as funny as me being like, not nearly as funny as me being like, um, uh, like saying it like what's wrong with them like of course why wouldn't I be in their room in the middle yeah. of the night you know what I mean by ch- just changing that tone of voice adds so much more humor to it you know and that's the thing I o- analyze all my jokes as I'm, I feel like you do the same thing just- I, I, I was actually gonna say I'm complete opposite I'm very intuitive is how I look at it like I've talked to people who like really get x's and o's on things and I can talk with them about it like someone who's x's and o's in football i can do that without like i don't want to say i don't know the x's and o's. i've played football i've watched a lot of football i know them more than the average person but i just the way i describe it is i take in the whole picture and then my brain does all the computing like it does it all for me and then like i'll come up with ideas that other people have to like go through steps and step and like get to that and i'm just like oh yeah like you know it's all this and i'm there it's it's not that I like I hate hate saying like anyone's smarter than anyone because everyone has different skill sets. Like just because I have a good vocabulary doesn't mean I'm smarter than the mechanic who can hear a car go down the road and be like, oh yeah, the the belt's going bad. Like I don't fucking know that. That's information I don't have. But I don't know. I'm not. I can get super analytical on things. Like when I get super obsessed, I can get in there and like try to figure it out. But I'm more intuitive to where. I just kind of take in a bunch of information and my brain like subconsciously processes it and then I just benefit from it. Yeah, see, I'm different than that. And I, I think it's great that you can do that. And I think I think comedians that can do that is great. And I think comedians that do it my way is great. Um, every, every, everything has its merits. Yeah, yeah. It's it's. But it goes back to, I think I, I think I was trying to make this point earlier. I may have I may have cut tangent. you off. <laughs> um, um, but it's it's about it comes down to about recognizing who you are, how you work best in front of an audience and, and leaning into that. And while different and some of the, you know, and I think that was probably my hesitation from ever doing anything like this till now, because I was so unsure of who I was. Only in the last couple of years have I gotten to a point of just self-assurance that I can recognize that, yeah, I'm really going to be I'm going to be really analytical about the way I tell my jokes, but at the same time, cause I've never been very good at improv and that's something I have to work on. I think, I think I'm actually pretty good at improv. I just hate watching other people do improv. And again, that's an ego thing. Cause I'll be like, why that's so you're being so awkward about it. And I, it's, I watched a Facebook video where someone's like, Oh, I've taught so many people improv. And it was like a podcast where they're bringing in people that they had taught in the past on and they did improv scenes. And I watched two minutes of it. I'm like, gone. Like, this is no good. You guys are so bad. Because it's like, I've literally said dude for, that's it. Just me and my friend said dude for fucking 10 minutes to each other with different inflections. And it sounded more like a 
fucking natural conversation than that dude talking to the other guy. And I, it's because, again, like that whole socially awkward thing, I can go into a character. Like, I'm not good at voices. I'm like accents, but I can get lost in whatever I decide this character is going to be. I can get lost in that. And that's what I'm going to be. So it's, I think I'd be good at improv, but I don't want to do it just because I don't want to be stuck with someone who's not good at it and stuck in a scene. Because I actually happened, I did a play in high school where, I think it was eighth grade actually, where I played a talk show host, or game show host, and it was a, a feminist versus a guy, and they were supposed to get in arguments, and every single night, the dude just forgot his lines. And uh, at one point, one night, he goes, uh, man, what are we even doing here? And not my line or anything. I was like, we're in the middle of a game show, dude. Let's get it together. <laughs> well, and that some people are really good at that. And you know what I mean? And I have my moments of it. Like, I really do. Like, a lot. Like, I have, like, 15 prepared heckler responses. You know, because I'm like that. Like, I'm like, okay, I have this response if someone's doing this, or I have this response if someone's doing this. Um, it's, all that came from somewhere. All that came from a moment of improvisation at the time, but I don't have enough faith in myself to just be like, ah, I'll think of something. Because yeah. the third show I did was all improv. I just had topics that I wanted to talk about. I didn't have anything written out. Um, when I did it on uh, the social distancing site, I did all improv. It didn't go well. I mean, it was funny. It had its moments. But what I found worked really best for me was the analyzing was like, okay, I like this joke here. I want to move this around. Are they going to flow together? Are they going to work together? Overthinking it really works. Really works for me. It doesn't work for everyone. It works for me. Yeah, I, uh, I'm. I'm. I don't want to say I'm great at the improv, but I'm good at improving with pointing out my flaws, like self-deprecate. I'm adding the two together. Like the last show I hosted, when the person put the the mic in the stand before I went up there one time, it got wrapped around the stand. So I went to pull the microphone out, and it was wrapped around the stand, and I, like kind of pulled the stand, and I was like, "Well, this is going fucking great." And everyone laughed. And it's it just in the moment, like, like I have to point out that something went wrong. That's all. I have to do it. Something went wrong. I, I'm not the kind of person to just play it off. Like, no, everything's going great. It's funnier for me to just point out, yep, I messed up, guys. Everyone knows it. Let's move on. You know, and like I said, I've had moments of that. Um, and I think it works. But again, I don't like to rely on it. Like, I remember I did a speech in college where um, – I don't remember. I th I think it was like I, I really don't remember what the speech was or about, but I remember one specific thing is I got up there and a nervous habit I used to do when I was in front of people is I would used to touch my belt buckle or like my belt, like right, you know, the button on all pants. I That's another reason why I stand in front of the mic because I'm less likely to awkwardly do that and like keep my hands up here so I'm not like touching myself on stage. Anyways, now that I've planted that image in everyone's head um, – <laughs> I realized this particular speech that my fly was undone. And I'm like, in my head, I have this like 10 minute conversation that's only about one second in the real world. But it's like, okay, my fly is down. I'm now going to be self-conscious about it. What am I going to do about it? So I just looked at the class. I'm like, so this is what my speech is about. But you're going to have to give me a second because my fly is down. And I turned around and zipped it back up and came. And everyone laughed. Like, I don't remember the rest of the speech. But the thing that I did realize is everyone was more focused on me now 
uh, you know, and I can't remember the speech, but I remember how like everyone was just locked in on me because I had that moment of improv. And I can definitely see you being really good at that and really good at bringing people's attention. And I really was impressed with your, you did a really good job hosting. I've done some hosting like that before and it went really well, but I was really impressed with you hosting. Well, thank you. you Cause I, I think I'm really bad at it. I know I have like, like you said, I know I can get people to pay attention, but there's people that are better at like all the intricacies of hosting, better at bringing people up. But I do, I do admit I'm loath to admit it, but I am pretty good at making sure people are at least looking at the stage. I'm pretty good at that. And I even at post 32, the first time I hosted, my fly was down. I guess I went to the bathroom, forgot to zip up my fly. Uh, and when I got on, like I realized it, you know, zipped it back up. And I, next time I went on stage, I assessed it, even though no one even said anything to me. I was like, Hey guys, uh, I'm a little upset with you now because, uh, my fly was down and either one, you didn't tell me. Or two, you don't find me attracted enough to look at my dick. And it fucking slayed. Yeah, and those are those moments of improvs that I, you know, I I probably in the moment could come up with, but not that intricate. Like, that was a really intricate improv joke. I'm not convinced I would be able to, you know, whip out of my fanny. Now, I've had, had moments like that, but they're so... You know, I mean, they're so far between. And then I just kind of hang on. I'm like, do you remember that one time I was witty and improving? Anybody? <laughs> just me? No? Oh, no I'm, a, I'm a big fan of retelling my jokes. Like, hey, you remember when I said that? But uh, we've actually done a lot longer than I expected to. Uh, it was really fun talking to you. Yeah. But, uh, we're going to say goodbye, everyone. Goodbye.